Rotary Magazine presents Life During Wartime. This article is published in the print edition of Rotary Magazine. It's written by Wen Huang of Rotary International. The music is composed by Yusu Kim of Chicago. I'm Andy Choi. I'm the narrator. Early Friday morning, the Polish-Ukrainian border. I can smell Ukraine now, exclaims Vasil Polonsky, who pokes his head out of the car window and breathes deeply as we zoom on a newly paved country road through southeastern Poland. We are getting very, very close to the border. From the broad smile on his boyish face, I assume that Polonsky's remarks are meant as lighthearted banter to calm my jangled nerves, like a parent soothing a fidgety child. In my case, the thought that I will soon enter war-torn Ukraine makes me visibly tense. So I respond in jest. Rolling down my window, I sniff the air outside. A faint smell of soil mixed with the odor of gasoline greets me. My nose has failed to catch anything distinctively Ukrainian. Polonsky reads my thoughts. Only we Ukrainians can detect the unique smell of our land, he interjects. Each time I return from business trips abroad, I always know I'm back home, just from the smell of it. I love my country very much, and the war just made it stronger. The young Ukrainian's deeply felt attachment to his homeland moves me. The intensity of his sentiments reminds me of a Chinese poem about war, written in 1938 by Ai Ching, who had fled Japan's invasion of his country. Why do I often have tears in my eyes? Because I love this land so much. I met Polonsky early that morning in the historical Polish border town of Zamosht. At the age of 30, tall with the slender build, he's the president-elect of the Rotary Club of Ukraine Unity in Lviv. He and a member of Rotary Club Lviv, Hanadi Kroichik, a past district governor from 2016 to 2017, with a sagely silver goatee, rose at dawn to drive across the border to fetch me and Ed Zirkel, a Rotarian photographer. Given that the Ukrainian government had called up all males under 60 for military service in the face of Russia's invasion, I asked Polonsky about his military status. I'm helping my country in a different way, he replies. Polonsky works for a U.S.-based engineering company, with a special pass granted to him by the government, he and his fellow Rotary members drive into Poland several times a month to collect humanitarian supplies such as food, medicine, clothing, and electric generators donated by Rotary clubs around the world and distribute them to hard-hit cities across Ukraine. The week before my visit, they traveled to Poland to pick up the second of two ambulances which had been donated and driven from Germany to Poland by the Rotary Club of Medford Sunrise. They also recently returned with the minibus packed with medical supplies from Rotarians from Finland. At a time like this, the Rotary Network is truly amazing, said Krojcik, who until then had been sitting quietly in the back of the car. Polonsky's driving is as energetic as his conversation. As we approach the Polish border, 
He is passing a long line of large freight trucks transporting goods, including humanitarian supplies, into Ukraine. Kroichik says the queue sometimes extends as far as two to three miles, and drivers have to wait sometimes days to cross the frontier. Luckily, the line for passenger cars was short. Russia's brutal attacks against Ukraine have decimated tourism. The border checkpoint is housed in an imposing steel structure which serves as the vault-like portal into Ukraine. Zirkel and I attempt to photograph our moment of entry, but Polonsky stops us. No photos or interviews here, he warned. If the guards suspect that you're with the media, they could pull us aside for interrogation. I wouldn't be able to help much because I don't speak Polish well. Tucking my phone into my pocket, I try to look nondescript. Polonsky claims to officers that Zirkel and I are transiting American civilian volunteers. So our passage out of Poland and into Ukraine goes smoothly. In a matter of minutes, two visa stamps are added to my passport. The jittery feeling I have felt over the past couple of days gives way to excitement. Outside the Ukrainian border control station, I snap a photo of a big navy blue sign indicating the distances to Lviv and Kiev in both Ukrainian and English. I just entered Ukraine. I texted to my friends in the U.S. along with the photo. The whole morning feels a bit surreal. A week before, Mykola Stebelyanko, who publishes Rotary's regional magazine in Ukraine, Rotaryets, heard that I was in Berlin on vacation and surprised me with an email and an invitation to a Rotary Foundation seminar in Lviv. At first, I was a bit hesitant about the bombings there, but considering what Mikola and others are facing every day, I knew I had to go. It would be a rare opportunity to see for myself the resilience of millions of ordinary Ukrainians in the face of unimaginable suffering. Each day they live, no, they persist and endure as their cities are cratered by relentless missiles, bombs, and artillery assaults. More importantly, I wanted to find out how the global Rotary Network enabled swift humanitarian relief for people in the war-torn regions. An hour after I said yes, Stebelyanko set in motion the Rotary Network, which has been helping to transport and settle Ukrainian refugees since the early months of the war. The next day, as I was strolling deep inside the somber passageways of the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe in Berlin, a fitting prelude to the specter of human tragedy I was about to witness in Ukraine, my cell phone rang. The caller identified himself as Boris Bodnar, who specifically explained that his first name was spelt in the Ukrainian way, not Boris like the Russians spell it, but Boris with a Y. Stebelyanko had asked him to coordinate my trip. Go to Warsaw first, he instructed. I'll phone you there. There was an air of mystery to his message. I felt as if we were part of an underground resistance movement during desperate times in a world war. But wait, these are desperate times and much of the world is involved in or cruelly affected by this war. Bodnar was speaking with a pronounced British accent. Are you from the UK? I couldn't help asking. No, I'm a Rotarian in Lviv. The magic word of Rotary put me at ease. Based on Bodnar's instructions, I took a train to Warsaw and then a bus to Zamosht, 
where like a Rotary-assisted refugee, I was helped by Rotary members who warmly welcomed me before delivering me to my next destination. You can read my report about Poland in Rotary Magazine's February issue. Friday noon, approaching Lviv. From Polonsky's car, I am looking out at the vista of a lush, green farmland that stretched endlessly beyond the highway. If it wasn't for the road signs in Ukrainian, we could have been driving through Ohio or Illinois, says Zirkel. We have black soil, very fertile, Kroychik chimes in. One can sow anything and it will grow. Ukraine is one of the world's bread baskets, adds Polonsky. Our grain is exported to lands as far away as West Asia and Africa. In this modern land of plenty, it is hard to imagine that as many as four to five million people or more died of starvation in the 1932-33 Holodomor, a recognized genocide, under punishing attempts by Joseph Stalin to destroy small farms and create a communist paradise of collectives. Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, and I remember my college professor claiming that Stalin used famine to suppress a vibrant Ukrainian independence movement. Polonsky says Putin has resurrected Stalin's tactics to destroy Ukraine as a free country. By blowing up electric power stations and grain export facilities, the Russian dictator is trying to destroy Ukraine's industries and agriculture while freezing and starving its people into submission. The Lviv region has been the funnel through which millions of Ukrainians, mostly women, children, and the elderly, have escaped the country. So far, this large metropolis in western Ukraine has been spared massive Russian bombing and missile attacks, except for a recent assault on the city's energy grid, which is making for a grim winter. Yet life seems normal on the rural approaches to Lviv. Farmers are working the fields. I see the occasional stately dome of a church. Farmhouses with red roofs pass by quietly under the cloudless sky. The peaceful scenery lulled me to sleep. All of a sudden, the car jolts to a stop. I awake to find a soldier looking through the window. We are at a military checkpoint. Polonsky is being questioned in Ukrainian. I notice that the road is partly barricaded by sandbags and concrete blocks. Farther along, there are metal anti-tank traps, hedgehogs. We have entered the war zone. My anxiety returns. Polonsky rolls up the window and announces our arrival. He cautions again about taking photos of guarded bridges or checkpoints on our way to the hotel. People might suspect that we are diversante, saboteurs who try to alert the Russians to potential targets. I am surprised, as we drive past the shopping center, to see a new construction site with colorful billboards advertising a beautiful residential complex. Life has to go on, said Kroychik. People try to keep life as normal as possible. Since the start of the war, Polonsky says more than 150,000 refugees from eastern Ukraine have settled in Lviv, which had a population of about 800,000. The city is building new apartments to accommodate displaced people. 3 p.m., Friday, Hotel Lviv. The sparsely furnished lobby of Hotel Lviv with faux marble floor is a study in Soviet-era utilitarianism. But as I glance around, I spot near the elevator door a familiar banner proclaiming in big purple letters, Imagine Rotary. 
the motivating logo with which Rotary International President Jennifer Jones has defined her presidency. It suddenly feels like I am on home turf. When we check into hotels in other parts of the world, we are usually briefed on the location of the restaurants, the gym, and the bar. But in Lviv, a young receptionist soberly hands me directions to the bomb shelter along with the key to my room. I have no idea how to respond. There is electricity, but warm water escapes the faucet grudgingly. I am nonetheless grateful after a long journey. 4 p.m. Friday, Hotel Lviv. About 50 regional Rotary members pack into a small conference room on the second floor for the Rotary Foundation seminar. It is refreshing to see so many women leaders. Mikola is presenting in Ukrainian, and occasionally I hear English words like global grants or disaster response grants. I scan the room and come to the uncomfortable realization that I am the only one wearing a mask. In the war zone, the threat of COVID is obviously secondary to humanitarian work. During break, the familiar British accent sounds behind me. Boris, I blurt out, and turn around. The mysterious man who has seamlessly orchestrated each leg of our trip materializes as a towering figure with a handsome face. I ask about his British accent. Boris's parents fled Ukraine during World War II and settled in the United Kingdom. Born in Leicester, he spent a better part of his life in London as a tax advisor and auditor in various financial institutions and returned to Lviv four years ago to reunite with his relatives. He started his own office furniture export business here and connected with Rotary to get to know people and become involved in doing good works. In June 2020, Bodnar became the charter president of Rotary Club of Ukraine Unity, the passport club in Ukrainian District 2232. Within six weeks of initiating the new club, we registered 35 members, he says. We now have 37 members. People want to join us and help. When the war began, Bodnar says Rotary in Ukraine formed a crisis committee to coordinate two priority issues. One was the surge of refugees fleeing cities that were under attack and those who wanted to join their relatives in Lviv or migrate to safer countries. We helped them cross the border as best as we could in very difficult circumstances to ensure that the Rotary Network outside could help to make refugees feel safe and welcome and offer them an opportunity to lead a normal life until the horror ends, he adds. The committee's other task is to bring in supplies donated by Rotary clubs around the world and distribute them to where they are most needed. The war has disrupted Bodnar's business, as it has for many Rotarians. For now, he says Rotary is a 24-7 job. There's so much to do here, he adds. I'm on call all the time, engaging with districts and clubs around the world. I'm also heavily engaged organizing logistics for donated supplies. Bodnar shows me a packet of water purification tablets, with the help of the Rotary Foundation, the Rotary Club of Ukraine Unity, and those in Great Britain and Ireland, as well as the U.S. and support from others, the group together purchased water purification tablets for families in frontline regions where clean water sources have been destroyed. At the same time, his club is currently working with two Rotary-run charities, 
Aquabox, and Water Survival Box in the UK to obtain water filter kits for distribution in Ukraine. You should come see our warehouse, he invites. District 2232 set up a wash group at the start of the war and initiated an international wash group for Ukraine, which continues to help provide essential supplies for safe drinking water. Our conversation is interrupted by a bearded young man looking rather eager and sincere at the same time. Sergei Fedotov, 36, a former sailor, joined Rotary Club Kharkiv New Level only two months ago because he wanted to help. By helping others, I feel that my soul is rising and my smiles are broader, he says, struggling to express himself in English. Fedotov is already looking beyond the war. He talks about rebuilding Ukraine and his priority is to restore the environment through tree planting and soil restoration. Irina Ivanova, a member in Fedotov's club who has been interpreting for him, shares her own story. She and her husband gathered their four children and fled Kharkiv in March after the Russian military shelled their city. During their escape, they had to abandon one of their cars for lack of gasoline. After a long and circuitous trip, they arrived in Dublin, Ireland. Now that the family has found refuge with the Irish, she has not forgotten her home. At the Rotary Conference, she hopes to reconnect with her Rotary Network. Ivanova tells me proudly how the eight Rotary Clubs in the Kharkiv region have created a large warehouse in the basement of a Rotarian-managed shopping center. There, they receive, load, and distribute donated supplies from Rotary and other relief agencies in Europe and North America. More than 50 volunteers work daily to sort the donations and distribute them to families in need. Her club, the Rotary Club New Level, is the largest in Ukraine with 64 members. Before the war, many people, including my Rotary members, probably didn't understand the power of Rotary, she said. Now, when they see how Rotarians help people, they want to be part of Rotary. 5 p.m. Hotel Lviv. Unlike the piercing sound of a fire alarm, the air raid siren hits one's eardrums with a blunt force. I become panicky for a few seconds and run back to my room, hyperventilating a bit at how unreal it feels to be running from dangers I could scarcely imagine. I grab my laptop, my wallet, and phone charger and dash down the stairs to the lobby, which is empty. Fumbling my way into the basement, I see four young people sitting in a circle on chairs, typing away at their phones. Two elderly folks are chatting about something funny in Ukrainian, and their occasional laughter echoes. Nobody appears scared. Do you know where everyone is? I asked in English. They stare at me baffled. I ascend to the street. People are going about their business in a scene of indifference and normality. Back in the lobby, I run into a middle-aged woman wearing a rotary pin. Her name is Yulia Pavashenko, president of the Rotary Club of Kharkiv, Nadia. In Ukrainian, Nadia means hope, Pavashenko tells me. Listen to the siren, I say to her. How can everyone remain so calm and unafraid? We were scared at first and ran fast to the shelter, she says in accented English. But we know that life has to go on, and we have to fight the Russians. We cannot be afraid.
Pavashenko used to own a private school which is closed because of the war. She shows me a photo of her house, the ceiling of which had been damaged by the bombing. I can use my time to help others because my son, who is in the IT industry, is supporting me, she says. We settle on a couch. Pavashenko brings out her iPad and shows me a project that her club has initiated, dubbed Healthy Future of Ukraine. The project provides psychological support for children and their families suffering the trauma of war. Ukrainian children have suffered tremendously during the war, she says. Many children are forced to leave their homes. Their families are separated. Their fathers have joined the army and their grandparents have fled to other cities. That's why we have decided to help them. Her club has organized counseling sessions and fun social events, which provide children with the semblance of security in the war zone. In mid-October, her club, along with the Rotary Clubs of Ozharad Skala, Ozharad, Rakhiv Center of Europe, Ivano-Frankivsk, and Rivna, partnered with the Rotary Club of Rovaniemi Santa Claus in Finland to sponsor a Santa Spectacular. A Santa Claus from Lapland dropped in on multiple cities in Ukraine. Orphans, children with disabilities or special needs, and displaced refugees came out to greet Santa enthusiastically. We asked children to write letters to Santa about their dreams and to draw pictures of their dreams, she added. During Santa's visit, they presented their letters and drawings. It was a wonderful experience and will stay in their memories for a long time. At one point, Pavashenko interjects that Russian missiles disrupted one of Santa's visits, sending him scurrying to a bomb shelter. We are proud of our brave friend and thank him for his visit to Ukraine and for his rotary service, she says, showing me photos of Santa with the children. 8.30 p.m. Lviv Mikola Stebelyanko and his wife Olga took me out to the city's night district so I could taste some real Ukrainian food and drink some horilka, the Ukrainian version of vodka. Lviv is often called the Paris of Ukraine. Growing up in communist China, I watched many Soviet movies, and I was later told that many of the scenes that were supposedly about Vienna, Paris, or London were actually filmed in Lviv. The historical center of the city is a UNESCO World Heritage Site noted for the synthesis of Eastern European architecture and art influenced by cultural contributions from Germany, Italy, and France. One of the most arresting examples of Lviv's beauty is the National Theater of Opera and Ballet that overlooks a square that seemed abuzz with activities when we strolled through it on empty stomachs. This evening, the medieval and Renaissance facades are dimly lit due to conservation measures to protect the city's damaged electric power grid. Most windows are boarded up. Vendors peddled spike balls with flashing lights while college students stopped tourists to sell patriotic ribbons. A large crowd of youngsters gathered around a street singer sharing a melancholy tune. Olga said it was a Ukrainian song about a mother mourning the loss of her son who died on the battlefield. About 50 feet away, a larger crowd of college-age revelers held hands and danced in a circle to the lively tune of a hooded acoustic guitarist. At a time when one had no idea what would happen the next day, the people of Lviv 
seemed to be enjoying what they could, life in the present. Everything seemed so surreal and at the same time normal, I said. Before Stebelyanko has the chance to reply, I realized that there was also evidence here that nothing was normal. On the side of a street lay several burned-out Russian tanks, their wheels twisted, warped, partially melted, and distorted by the kinetic energy of the anti-tank missiles that had destroyed them. A sign nearby indicates that the tanks were destroyed in a battle on the outskirts of Kiev. These remnants of battles recently fought bring home to the pit of my stomach the horror of battles that must be taking place in places I would not be allowed to visit, such as Kherson in the south and Bakhmut in the east, where the Russians are trying desperately to break through the Ukrainian lines. At the Church of St. Peter and Paul, known as the Garrison Church, Stebelyanko says tourists used to stroll in to admire the colorful murals that grace the vaulted ceiling. But in this season of war, the people come here to hang the photos of the war dead. Ukrainian soldiers, young and old, men and boys who just a year earlier had been farmers, merchants, or tradesmen, now martyred, fighting in the defense of their country. I catch my breath as I realize there are hundreds of photos here among the aisles. In the front of the altar, I see two women dressed in black and kneeling in prayer. I can also hear that one is sobbing. I freeze in the presence of her pain. The weight of suffering and grief this nation now carries can feel overwhelming. I walk slowly out, numb as I try to process the consequences of this war on innocent lives. By the time we reach a restaurant, a candlelit place with different colored liquors on display, we have only one hour before curfew. When in Ukraine, one has to drink Horilka, Stebelyanko urges as he orders test tube shots that contain different types of Horilka. I need it, I say, even though I seldom drink liquor. Born in the Kharkiv region, the 49-year-old Stebelyanko grew up in Crimea. After the Russian occupation in 2014, life became very difficult. We could no longer talk freely in public places because someone could report us to the authorities, he says. Soon, Russian intelligence officials tried to infiltrate his Rotary Club and pressure members to report on its activities. Such a dire situation prompted him and his wife to sell their houses and move to Odessa in southwestern Ukraine. Over the past year, as the war rages on, Stebelyanko has established himself as a tireless conduit between Rotary members in Ukraine and Rotary International headquarters in Evanston. I talk to him via Zoom every week. He seldom mentioned his personal situation, but one day, when I pressed him, he admits that his city was facing the constant rocket attacks and that sometimes his wife and their dog, Urasik, had to huddle in the bathroom, the safest place in his apartment. And yet the couple keep their optimism. When I asked if he would consider leaving Ukraine, he replies resolutely, No, this is my home, and I want to stay and help. He reminds me that his name, Mikola, a Ukrainian variant of Nicholas, means 
victory. Victory of the people of Crimea and Ukraine. Olga toasts us. Last day in Lviv. Stebelyanko has invited me to a ceremony at the opulently decorated opera house to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the founding of the Rotary Club of Lviv. In fact, the Rotary Club in Lviv was chartered in 1935, but it was suspended during World War II and during the time of the Soviet Union, Stebelyanko points out. In the late 1980s, Hugh Arch, President of the Republic of Ireland, visited Moscow and met with Mikhail Gorbachev, who agreed to a short-term study exchange for college students with the United States under the auspices of Rotary. Lviv was chosen to host these exchanges. That paved the way for Rotary's return. The Rotary Club of Lviv was established and registered in October 1992. The anniversary celebration seems more poignant at the time of war. Among the speakers is Vitaly Lesko, the district governor in Ukraine. Wearing a baseball hat and a suit jacket over a t-shirt, he looked fit, Lesko used to run a public relations company. On the first day after the Russian invasion, he showed up at the military recruitment office and stood in line for about six hours. I had no military training and had never touched a weapon, he recalled. He was not accepted on his first try, but he went there a second time at 6 a.m. the next day. His patriotism moved the officers, and they put him in the Volunteer Battalion of Territorial Defense of the Rivna region. As I was watching the ceremony at the back, Sergei Zavatsky, who served as district governor from 2017 to 2018, comes over to tell me what Rotary is doing in Moschun, a once picturesque village near Busha, just outside of Kiev. Moschun, he said, was almost totally obliterated by the early assault of Russian forces near the Ukrainian capital. About 70% of the houses were destroyed, and more than 700 civilians murdered or injured. The situation inspired the Rotary Club Ivano-Frankivsk, Rotary Club Kiev City, and the charitable foundation Ukrainian Dream to band together and initiate the Moschun Recovery Project. We strive to revive this ancient village, providing local residents with a decent life, including a roof over their heads, walls, and heat, said Zavatsky. Since the war is still ongoing, Zavatsky says that it is unrealistic to rebuild houses in Moschun, so the Rotary team aims to bring 300 modular homes and get them assembled before winter arrived. To save land, project leaders decide to install the houses on or next to destroyed homes, thus keeping returning families close to home and hearth. Volunteers from the Rotary Club of Kiev City and Rotary Club of Kiev Sofia help to remove debris and clean the new home sites. Thanks to grants from the Rotary Foundation's Disaster Response Fund and from Rotary Clubs and districts in Italy, Great Britain, Poland, and the U.S., the first modular house was installed in June 2022 for Lubov Topol, who lost her house and her only son, who was part of the village defense force and who died when a bomb landed next to the house. Soon, more modular houses arrived for Topol's neighbors and other families in the village. Zavatsky proudly shows me photos of this amazing work on his phone and related newspaper clips.
6 a.m. Sunday, Jeshuf Yajonka. It is still dark when Vassal and Boris pick me up at Hotel Lviv and drive me to the Polish city of Jeshuf, from where I will fly to Warsaw and then Berlin. The previous afternoon, they drove me through the cobblestone streets in Lviv and took me to a temporary warehouse from which they have been distributing an enormous amount of donated supplies from around the world. Our rotary network has enabled us to ship the supplies to frontline towns and cities that are difficult to access, Boris says, showing me packets of thermal underwear, socks, hats, food, and water filters. We are expecting to fill the warehouse with a third donation of medical supplies from clubs such as Rotary Clubs of Ingelheim am Rhein and Mines in southwest Germany. We'll need continued help from Rotary, says Vassal, who stands on a trolley. While Vassal was helping me and others, I had no idea then that the young man's mother had just been diagnosed with cancer. She died shortly before this article was published. Near Poland's Zeszów Jazionka International Airport, a U.S. Patriot surface-to-air defense system has been deployed. The missile batteries are oriented eastward in the direction of Ukraine, presumably to intercept Russian missiles that could target NATO countries such as Poland. The close proximity of NATO offers a bit of optimism amid so much uncertainty. While having our farewell photos taken, Bodnar taught me to flash the three-finger salute used often in the days of Ukrainian independence to indicate the trident symbol of Ukraine— and echoed the words of President Zelensky. We used to say peace, but now we say victory. This article originally appeared in the February 2023 issue of Rotary Magazine. Rotary Magazine is the official monthly publication of Rotary International.